I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. So, Father, again, as we're coming to, your, to, to this word that you've had recorded so many years ago at the hands of John, and we're hearing the words of your Son, Lord Jesus, we need for those words to be words that penetrate our hearts right now. We need for the Spirit to open up our eyes, open up our ears, so that we can hear what you have to say to us right now. And Lord, wherever we are in life, many um, who are here today and who are maybe watching online, maybe they're believing the words that we've read. Maybe many are questioning. Maybe some are saying, I don't know that I believe any of this. So regardless of where we are, Spirit, please meet us where we are and show us Jesus, we ask in his name. Amen can be seated if you would like. So here's, I mean, this is such a big question. Where, where do you go for life? When you think about where do you go for life, that's such a loaded question at so many different le- levels. What, what are we asking? Where do you go for love, for joy, for peace, for hope? Those things that we tend to celebrate during the Christmas season. Where is it that we go to try to get those things in our life? So that There's so many things that we could talk about. We're not going to drill so much into that, but we do want to look at this. The passage shows that those who align with Jesus not just believe something about him, but they actually identify with him. They receive what he has to give. And this is summarized at the very end of the section that we read in verse 50. They get to receive what he has been given by the Father, the command that he's been given by the Father, which is life that lasts, eternal life. So, with this being a recurring theme within all of the Bible, especially the Gospels, and then especially within John, John really points out this reality. Alignment with Jesus brings us lasting life. So, where do we go for life? Him. Alignment with Jesus actually brings us lasting life. So, this raises several questions for me as I've been processing this myself, and maybe it raises questions for you as well, and probably more questions that we're going to be able to address. And whether you consider yourself a follower of Jesus or not, I think these questions are applicable for us, and they're this. Why why don't we align? Like, what are the reasons why we actually don't align? And then how are we realigned? This is what we want to look at. So why don't we align? Well, the simple answer is we don't believe. I mean, that's kind of the simple answer. But the simple answer is not good enough. The passage doesn't let us just get away with the simple answer. It's not completely fair. Because as we even see in this whole passage, there are some who believe, but in verse 42 it says they don't confess him, meaning they don't align with him, at least publicly. They believe, but they haven't aligned. So why didn't they align And seeing that might help us know why don't we sometimes align. And they're kind of two big categories. And the first is, it's because we don't believe he is the one. And the second is, we don't believe he is enough. 
Those are kind of the two reasons that are outlined for us within what John has to say to us. Verse 37, this idea of him not being the one. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still didn't believe in him. What does that mean? Well, it could mean that they didn't believe he did the signs, and so they didn't believe, right? That could be part of what they mean. But it sounds more like they saw the signs, they saw the great things that he had done of the healing, he was caring for people, he was giving some really crazy teaching, but they didn't believe what the signs pointed to. They were, they, they were intentionally called signs, and a sign like... An, a sign, an exit sign, right? It's pointing you toward, it's not the thing, it's pointing you to the thing. It's pointing you to, like, don't try to walk through the exit sign. It's pointing you to where the sign, what the sign is about. So maybe they saw the sign, but they didn't see what it was pointing to, which is what? To Jesus being the one. The one what? The one greater than just a good miracle worker and teacher. The sign's pointing to something greater than that. The one who was to come from God as God's rescuer. It's this, this Messiah that they, the, the Hebrew people, the Jewish people, would have been looking for. The Christ. They didn't see him as the one connected to this bigger Jewish story, what the Bible had been talking about, or even the bigger human story. They didn't see him as that one. This is where John brings up Isaiah. So Isaiah was a prophet many years prior to Jesus showing up on the scene. And John's going to quote two Isaiah passages here. And they're kind of taglines that's supposed to cause us to go back and think about what the whole context was. All right? And he quotes Isaiah 53 and Isaiah 6. And you may want to jot those down. We're going to look at them a little bit more later on. So with this, John brings up Isaiah to show that the unbelief has always been a part of our story that God is working in and through. Their unbelief, and lo and behold, our unbelief is actually something God is not only aware of, but he's working in and through to bring about his greater story. That people have always had an issue of not believing and aligning with God. That's nothing. If we're experiencing that today, that's nothing new. This is what has always been going on. God even told Isaiah that when he's going to speak, people's eyes will continue to be blinded and their hearts will be hardened. And so now it is, so this is now, the fulfillment when it comes to Jesus. People often don't believe because they continue to be blinded to and hardened to what Isaiah saw, which was what? The glory of God. The, the, what we just sang about. People are blinded to the fa- this glory of God and that the glory of God is now connected to Jesus very specifically. They were blinded to that. They may have even had an idea of the glory of God, but now to see that the glory of God was actually manifest in Jesus. So that is, that is an aspect. And this sometimes, this not believing that he is the one, can even turn us into people that are anim- have an animosity towards Jesus, an actual dislike for him. Uh, because in their case, they thought he was, many thought he was dangerous. They called him the devil <laughs> or from the, a demon Right? They thought of him, some of them thought of him as an antichrist, not the Christ. So for, that's kind of the historic piece. How about for us? So, why might we not believe that he is the one? Here are three things. I, I think, well, okay, I'll just list them and then we'll go through them. We don't, we don't know him, we don't see him, or we don't like him. 
I think those are kind of reasons why we don't believe him as the one. Romans chapter 10, so this is the Apostle Paul writing, this idea of us not knowing him. It could be that we've just not heard. He, he says this. This is Romans chapter 10. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one whom they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. All right. So many have not yet believed in Jesus. Why? They haven't heard the story. They haven't heard the story. This is, this is why Jesus says, go, go and tell the story to the world. This is the most amazing story for the world to hear. Why do people not believe? Because many have not heard. Now, that can actually be that they have not heard the story. They have not heard either the name of Jesus or what it is Jesus is, who Jesus is. But it can also mean they haven't heard the true story. They've had a wrong or a truncated or a corrupted story told to them. And I would say within our culture, that is very often the case. Especially in our kind of American culture. I think so often we tie our American story to the gospel story and we confuse our nationalism with what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And therefore we misrepresent Jesus! So it can be that we've heard um, an untrue story. And then um, his story has not always been told in a way that intersects our lives. So I think sometimes people don't hear it because, you know, they've, they've heard kind of the facts of who Jesus is, but it hasn't necessarily invaded their own life. It hasn't intersected their life, so they haven't really heard, the, they've heard the facts, but they haven't heard how that integrates into their story. I think these are ways that maybe we have not heard the story. So then also this idea of not seeing. There are those who may say, look, I've heard. I, I may or may not think that Jesus was an actual um, historic figure, a real figure, that he taught good morals. You know, maybe I believe he, he, was, he really was, or I'm not sure, but I, I know about him. But I don't believe he is more than the good historic figure, or, or much more than what a good historic figure is. Many in Jesus' day probably saw, and they believed that he did great things. It seems to be the case in, in this text. They just didn't see him as the great one. They saw the great things. They didn't see him as the great one. They didn't see the great things pointing to his greatness. Ah, oh, big difference. Very big difference. So they didn't believe he's the one. In that case, and in this case, of course, and, and if that's where you are listening or sitting right here, if that's where you are, you know, in good conscience, you can't align with him. You, you, you can't do that especially because he doesn't even allow that, right? If you believe he's just a good teacher, that's, in good conscience, he's not saying he's just a good teacher. He's being presented as the great one. So if you don't see him as the great one, as the one, then you can't align with him. Um, and there are those who have are just a real distaste for Christianity and Jesus. That's, that is true. That's a fact. Um, they can even be antagonistic toward, and maybe it'd be, it'd be awesome if people are listening to this that feel that. That'd be great. Um, I, I hope that we have interaction with people who really have a real problem with Jesus. 
And let, let, me, let me press into that a little bit, okay? This isn't always the case, but sometimes there is legitimacy to their perspective. Maybe they've seen great harm done in Jesus' name. Sometimes it may not be the true historic Jesus that they have a problem with, but those who have misrepresented him, like me at times. This is something for the church to be aware of, to be humbly sensitive to, and even repentant of when we go out and we tell the story. So I want to just talk about the church for a second in light of this, okay? So those of you who are not followers of Jesus, you get to hear our own criticism of ourselves. Uh, It's time for us to be gracious and to live something different. To listen to people's real concerns if they want to talk. We need to be informative but not defensive. Give people space. Here's my challenge to, to myself and to all of us. We need to give people space to process, and if they need further explanation, let's be ready to share and to support each other in sharing and to serve others and each other as we are all on our journey and our investigation. We need patience with where people are. Sometimes until people see the need for what Jesus offers, it's really hard to believe in him. Like, you may see the facts, and it's like, eh. And until you recognize you, your own great need, it's really hard to see where he collides with you and has something more for us. Recognizing our need sometimes has to precede our ability to hear. If we don't see need, it's sometimes it's just hard to hear. Trying to force someone into belief, or worse, scare them into it, We can be really good about trying to scare people into belief. If we do that, we cannot create true loving alignment for people. If they're scared into it, they're not lovingly aligning with Jesus. Then also for us as followers, as our lives are an ongoing process of seeing and learning and often having our own perspectives corrected when we see him as the is the one. Sometimes our perspective now, somebody was, I was listening to a podcast on my way over here. Somebody was quoting someone else that said, just realize that right now you're stupid. <laughs> like in the sense of, like right now, and, and I've heard this, so uh, N.T. Wright, he's a theologian, he made some comment once. He said, um, you know, I think probably, I can't remember what he said, 80%, I think 80% of what I say is true, and 20% is not, the problem is I don't know which 20% is, what the 20% is, right? So let's just be humble about the fact that, guess what? He is magnificent, and we're going to continue to get to know him, which probably means we have some wrong ideas right now. Let's be on the humble journey so that we can, you know, realize where we're not knowing, seeing, or liking him. Let those things be exposed so that we can grow alongside others. When we don't align with him, it can be because we just don't believe he's the one in some way, shape, or form. But John says there's another reason we don't align, and it's this. Um, Verse 42, we don't believe he's enough. Nevertheless, he says, many, even of the authorities, so these are religious figures, believed in him. They actually believed in him, but for the fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they could not, uh, so that they could not be put out of the synagogue, for they loved 
the glory of men more than they loved the glory that comes from God. All right, here there are some of the authorities, these ruling figures that actually be- believed in him. What did they believe? We're not told. I'm not really sure what it is that they believed. Um, possibly they believed he was actually the one. They may have actually believed, oh my gosh, maybe this is the Christ that was promised, possibly. But they didn't confess him. They did not align with him. At least they didn't do so publicly. That's what the narrative says. Why? It tells us. Why? Because they were afraid. Fear. Fear of what the community or the other authorities would do. Kick them out of their community. They were fear of losing what? Their, their own authority. They're fear, afraid of losing their place, of their community, possibly their family. Like, people do suffer that in this world. You come to faith in Jesus, and you get kicked out of your family, if not potentially killed. That is a reality. They would have lost their way of life, potentially. Then John goes on to explain the why under the why. So fear, yeah, 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 that's, that's part of it, but Why? They love the glory of man more than the glory of God. What is this? At some level, it says they believed, maybe even believed that Jesus was the one, but they didn't believe he's enough. He wasn't enough. He wasn't good enough. They loved, they desired, they needed the glory and the acceptance, the honor of people more than they loved the brilliance of God. They wanted to maintain or they wanted maybe even to create some kind of glory to be honored among others more than they loved the actual honor, the actual glory that is uncreated from God. This is like piercingly like indicting to me, right? This, this has been a, con- I've been sitting in this for the last week. This is, this is convicting How much of my misalignment, because my life is misaligned in so many different ways from him, how much of my misalignment is because I don't actually practically believe he's enough? And I think another glory for myself is actually going to be better. How often do I love the comfort of life, my way of life, the people's respect for me, or the authority that I may have with whatever I might be doing? the praise and the acceptance of others, more than I love and enjoy what is real glory. How much is that actually my situation? So with that, the authorities for them, for us as well, that believed but they didn't confess or they didn't align with Jesus in certain areas of life is our issue that, you know what, we just need to be more bold Let's be brave. Okay, if that's the case, the answer is be bold and be brave. There's your answer right there. If that's the problem, that we just need to be more bold and be braver, then the answer is be bolder and be braver. Stand up for what you, come on, get, let's get up, come on. Let's stand up for what you really believe in, right? Let's do this. All right, is that what John's getting at? I mean, obviously, I was being a little sarcastic, so... Probably not what I'm thinking he's saying. What, what does that kind of response do to you? Just come on, be a man, grow a pair, right? What kind of response does that do to you? Well, I need to be more bold for Jesus. That's what it does to me. It puts the focus back on who? Me. I need to do this. In a twisted way, it can become, it can become this form of, of gaining self 
glory. And if you fail to be bold, okay, I'm speaking from my own experience, right? If I fail to be bold, what happens? Oh, man, I'm such a loser. <laughs> Come on, I feel discouraged. I feel, cr- I feel ashamed. I should have stood up for Jesus there. And if I succeed, what happens to me? Yeah, buddy. Yeah, that's right. I stood up for Jesus. What are you doing? What are you doing? Right? I mean, isn't that what it does to you if that becomes your focus? I feel proud. I feel righteous. So just convincing yourself or pumping yourself up or guilting yourself into confessing Jesus to aligning with him because it's what you're supposed to do or maybe you're afraid of what's going to happen if you don't do it doesn't seem to align with the life that Jesus is inviting us into. This just doesn't seem to align with what I, I hear and I see with him. This approach doesn't flow out of this genuine alignment with him and love for him. It doesn't seem to cultivate, it certainly doesn't cultivate a real genuine heart for him. It's a forced alignment. Do you know a forced alignment? So, have you ever had a car that's not aligned? All right, so currently I think my cars have, all have an alignment, although they probably all need to get checked. But I've had, a, I've had vehicles where the alignment was just awful, okay? Right? It's wanting to, to turn off the side of the road. Typically it goes this way, I feel like. So usually it's, tur- so I'm forcing it. And I can, I, can, I can force it into alignment, right? But I'm being distracted as a driver, and I am ruining my tires, okay? This is not healthy for the car. What do I need to do? Come on, Joey, just take it into the shop, pay the money, and get the realignment done. Right? Think. And please understand, I, I, want us to, I want us to be bold proclaimers of the gospel. I really do. I think God wants us to be bold proclaimers of the gospel. But I think God wants us to do so out of a genuine freedom and a joy, not a guilt of obligation. And, and to do so out of an overflow of a heart that is being realigned, not an external pressure on the will Right, that is artificially forcing a frustrated alignment. I don't think that's what he wants for us. So, how are we realigned? Okay, there we go. We here we go. We need to be convinced. Convinced what? We need our hearts softened, so that as we tell the story of Jesus to the world, we also want for. Uh, blind eyes to be opened and hard hearts to be softened so that they and we can see with their eyes and our eyes and understand with our heart and turn and have God actually heal us. What Isaiah had said that we wouldn't do. That's what we need. This may sound like a cop-out, okay, and call me out on it, but what we need is for God to realign us. Um, we need for, when we, even when we're going to tell the story, we need for God to show others. We need to be convinced so that we can believe. We need to be convinced so that we can believe Jesus is the one and that he's enough and that he's far greater than enough. We need for that to happen to us. Okay, so what do you do with that? Well, I think there are a few things that we need to see. Like, how is God going to go about doing this? Uh, We need to see that Jesus is from God, we need to see He is the glory of God, and we need to see a third thing. 
This is coming out of the text. We need to see. This is 44 through 50, this first one. We need to see that Jesus is actually from God. Um, Verse 44 and and following. When uh, When we look at him, we're looking at the one who sent him. This is what Jesus is trying to communicate to us. That he is the light that leads us out of darkness, verse 46, that he is the one who has not come to judge the world, but to save the world and us who are in the world, that all he says and all that he does is in complete alignment with his Father, who has sent him with a command. And what is that command? It's what we started off with, to bring eternal life. This is the concluding part of what John has to say. And this is filling out what John referenced earlier when he quotes Isaiah. Because according to John, in verse 41, Isaiah said these things. He said all these things a long time ago before Jesus showed up on the scene. Why? Because he saw Jesus' glory and he saw and he spoke of Jesus. That's what John says Isaiah was saying, was seeing and saying. What does that mean? Well, whatever Isaiah saw about God, he was also seeing about Jesus. He's saying they are one, that Jesus, the man, the person, was from God and he is united to God. And we need to see that. Like, if we're going to have our hearts changed by this, somehow we got to see Jesus being this from God character, this person. So then, moving on from that in verse 40, John is paraphrasing Isaiah 6.10, so, which, which has God's instructions to Isaiah after Isaiah said, Oh, 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 here I am, because God says, Who's, who am I going to send to go tell the story? Um, Isaiah said, please, send me, send me. I want to go tell people what I've seen. All right, what have you seen, Isaiah, that you want to tell people? you got to go back a few verses. So this is where, maybe over the week, go back and read this, but I'm going to read it to you. So this is, so Isaiah 10, Isaiah 6, 10, 60, Isaiah 6, 10 is what John is quoting We're going to go back to Isaiah 1. What happens in Isaiah 6, 1? What happens in the year that King Uzziah died? So Isaiah is framing this in a historic narrative. This is historically happening. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two they covered their face. With two they covered their feet. With two they flew. And one called to another said and saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, oh gosh, holy gosh, woe is me for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen what? The king, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and he said, behold, This has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away from you. Your sin is atoned for. Isaiah saw real glory. I mean, that's real glory. He saw the source of light, the brilliant one, the holiness of God. John said in this, Isaiah saw and spoke of Jesus. Okay, I'm not going to try to fully explain this. I'm just saying what it says. He saw in Jesus the glory of God. 
Why align with Jesus? Because he's not, just connect, he's not just the connection to this larger story. He's the fulfillment of it. N- not like he fulfilled a promise here and a promise there. Isn't that really cool how Jesus connects those things? It's not that. He, he's the fullness of the story. He's the hero of the story. He's the glory. He's the holy one. He's the life giver. That's Jesus. But John also quotes from closer to the end of Isaiah's book. So we're coming to the end of this ourselves. He's quoting, to, quoting to the end, the closer to the end of Isaiah's book. This is Isaiah 53. He quotes Isaiah 53.1. And as a reminder of the whole chapter, John says in all that Jesus is doing, the, all these great signs that we've been watching him do, and in him still being rejected, even in him being rejected, Jesus is fulfilling God's word through Isaiah. What are those words? Here is what Isaiah says, okay? So this is Isaiah 53, starting in 1, the part that John quotes, and we're going to read the following text, okay? Who has believed what he has heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Okay, that's the header that John quotes for us to reference Jesus being this. You ready? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not surely, surely. He's borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, and he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one of us to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The glory that Isaiah saw and the humility of this suffering servant is Jesus. He's the holy, holy, holy one who was pierced for our transgressions. Put those things together. He is the holy, holy, holy one who was pierced by us and for us. He gave up the normal human glory and power. He gave up the position that he could have grasped for himself. He gave it up for a greater glory. He gave it up to show a greater glory. He gave it up to rescue us into a greater glory. When that breaks into us, like I, this is the story. The, the heavens have to open up and we have to see this. We have to see this. When it breaks into us and opens our eyes, and if it starts to soften our hearts, and then we believe in him as the one who is enough, that's when we're realigned. And then when we're realigned, it's his life, his lasting, his real, his meaningful life that will then flow into us, that will make us ambassadors of the glory for the world around us.